Today we're talking about grace from both sides, and I want to invite your attention for just a few moments as, I, as we talk a little bit more about this thing called grace to Luke chapter 23. I want everybody to go there. We're going to read verse number 39 to verse number 42, and for the next 10 minutes or so before the panel, I want to drop a nugget on you about this thing called grace and what we mean by grace from both sides. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse number 39 and terminating at verse number 42, and one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You may be seated. The reason why I call this grace from both sides is because there are two sides of grace, one of which is very comfortable, and the other of which takes courage and transparency. And what I mean simply is this. There's a side of grace that we've experienced wherein we were the victim and we were in the position to show grace to someone else. As a matter of fact, it's so much easier to talk about how we've forgiven somebody than it is to talk about why we needed forgiveness from somebody. Churches have become not even by malicious intent Places where people, no matter what, get to hide in the shadows of, an, of the anonymity of victimization. What do you mean the anonymity of victimization? Whenever a point is being made from the pulpit about people turning their back on you, most people shout because they're thinking of people who've turned their back on them. But very few people think of people who they turned their back on. Churches almost by the culture that is set, which is different from the first century culture, create a victimization posture where people always think that they're the ones who need to forgive, that they're the ones who need to show grace. But at the end of the day, the ultimate person who gives grace is God. And God says to those of us who were hurt by people, I'm going to give you my grace so that you can heal. But he says also to the ones who hurt people, I'm going to give you my grace so that you can be forgiven. And there's nobody under the sound of my voice today that has only spent time on one side. 
I know we like to think of it like that and we like to compare ourselves because sometimes we feel better about ourselves by comparing ourselves to somebody who we assume is worse. But as God looks at all of us and he looks at the sophisticated and he looks at the complicated and he sees both the sophisticated and the complicated, he says to the sophisticated, you need my grace. And he says to the complicated, you need my grace. But sometimes the sophisticated looks over at the complicated and say, you need his grace. Are you understanding this? In this particular text, what you have is grace suspended between heaven and earth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we know it as the two thieves. The problem is we have a tendency to look at one thief as a good thief and the other as a bad thief. We look at the thief who Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. We look at the thief on the right side of the cross and we glamorize him and we, because, because while the other one is saying save yourself and us, the other thief says we deserve this, remember me when you come into your kingdom and we have a tendency to look at the thieves and think that one deserves to be with Jesus and the other doesn't. Here's the reality of it all. One thief was insulting Jesus but he wasn't the only one. When you're dealing with the Gospels, you have to look at the harmony of the Gospels. Everybody look at Matthew chapter 27. Let me show you something. How many of you are familiar with the two thieves and the thief that was told, you're going to be with me in paradise? If you're not familiar with it, you'd have to read it. We don't have time to go into it in detail. But the idea is we customarily look at one of those thieves as the better thief. Neither of them was better. And it wasn't that only one of them was extended grace. I have three points for you today, three little points, and then we're going to get to our panel. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 44, what does the Bible say? The robbers who had been crucified with him. Wait, the robbers, is that plural? Yes. Pay attention. The robbers, both of them. Both of the thieves, what does the text say they did? Were also insulting him with the same words. It wasn't just one. Both of them at one point was insulting Jesus. We missed that because we look at Luke's text and we see one thief insulting Jesus and the other thief saying, look, why are you doing this? This man didn't do anything. But I'm here to tell you that when they both started on the cross with Jesus, both of them had the same problem. Both of them were doing the same thing. Both of them were insulting Jesus. So it wasn't that one was better than the other. It wasn't that one uh, had grace and the other didn't. What it was is somebody woke up at some point and realized that while I'm insulting this man, when I look at his life and I look at my life I know I deserve to be here but he doesn't so somebody repents on the cross but don't get it twisted both of them were insulting him well brother Hamilton you said that 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 it wasn't that one was one was extended great both of them were right next to grace what is the difference here's the point 
Grace is available, but God doesn't make you or force you to receive grace. It's extended. He gave Jesus, but he's not going to force you to receive. He's not going to force you to receive forgiveness, which means it's very possible that and probable that God has forgiven you, but he's not going to force you to accept the forgiveness. He's not going to force you to accept grace. And sometimes the only thing between us and accepting God's grace is the fact that some of us want grace from situations. But we don't want grace for the sake of having Jesus. No, you don't understand? When you're in the jam, some of us, we pray and say, Lord, I want to be closer to you. But the reality is you want to be closer to him in the time when you need him. Because you want to be saved from the immediate situation. Here's the point. Sometimes God is not going to remove the situation. So if you don't want Jesus for Jesus, you're going to end up like this thief who said, if you be the son of God, save yourself and us. Now, the other thief was still a thief. But his posture was different. At no point does he say, Jesus, get us off this cross. Which means the first thief was only concerned with Jesus coming off the cross so that he can get him off the cross. And I'm here to tell you, grace doesn't always mean you get off the cross. Grace doesn't always mean that he delivers you from the situation. Oh, y'all not hearing me. This is, the, this is the uncomfortable side. Grace doesn't always mean that you're going to be able to pay your bills. Grace doesn't always mean that if you're foolish with your money, you're going to be able to borrow. Sometimes grace, watch this, is facing your consequences with Jesus by your side. Sometimes grace is not that he's going to take away what you got coming. It's not that he's going to move what you got coming. Sometimes God says, okay, I'm not coming off this cross, and you're not either. So I'm not going to take you out of what you're in, but I'll invite you to where I'm going. And the reality is, the reason why it's both sides is because one side had a self-righteous attitude and the other side realized his unrighteousness. One side admitted, I deserve this. The other side basically said, look, if you're the son of God, you really who you say you are? Then save yourself. And when you get done coming off the cross, get us off the cross. So do you want to be saved from your trouble, or do you want to be saved from your sins? Grace doesn't always save from trouble. If you don't believe me, ask Paul. The apostle Paul had what he described as a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed to Jesus, to God, and he asked the Lord, on three different occasions, 
please move this problem. Please get, Lord, just get, you can fix this in an instant. Lord, I don't want to deal with this particular issue. I don't want to deal with it. Lord, just take it away. And do you know what Jesus says? He says, my grace is enough. He didn't move it. He didn't take it away. But his grace was enough. But this was the Paul who spent time on both sides. While we pity him there when he has this thorn in the flesh, remember it was Saul or Paul who had held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. It was, it was Paul who was then Saul who dragged Christians and had them, had them persecuted and executed. And so sometimes God's grace is not that he moves the problem. Not that he gets rid of the cancer. Not that you're not going to be in trouble. But sometimes his grace is when you're in it, you're not going to be alone. Somebody say his grace is sufficient. So what I wanted to do, this preaching panel thing, I'm a little radical, got a lot more radical things to come, is I wanted to pull in people and panelists, and I'll ask them to come forward now. We're good. We're good with time. I'll ask them to come forward now. Some of which spent time on one side of the of the cross of grace and all of them others that can talk from the other side of the cross of grace because sitting in churches every Sunday are people who are in a period of their lives where they're on the one side and people that are in a period in their lives when they're on the other side and then there are people who don't have a traumatic story you ever sitting there and hear somebody and, and talk about what they've been through and through and everything they did and everything they, you know, where they went through this and that and the other and this happened to me and I was shot 10 times and I, you know, but the Lord brought me out. You know, I got in trouble and they decapitated me. My head flew off my body, but praise God, there was a paramedic nearby who knew just what to do to stitch my head back onto my body and here I am today. Some of y'all don't have that kind of story. Don't, don't, don't think you have to. And don't think you get any less grace. Because God gives grace to all who will receive it. And his grace is sufficient. What we're going to do is we're going to start this. We, do we have enough microphones? How many microphones do we have? We need the microphones. We're going to get right into this. I'm excited about this. Um, I asked you to write three sentences about yourself, but that was for the sake of time. But if you can say three sentences or give a very succinct um, introduction of yourself, we'd appreciate if you can do that at this time. Starting with uh, Brother Paul Purple Dixon. Uh, my name is Paul Dixon. Um, I'm 50 years old. I would, I would say that in, for my situation, 
Um, when I know that I was lost, there was a time when I knew that I was really, really lost. And um, I can look back at that time now and know that, that I was found by grace. And so uh, I, I stand here today looking forward and uh, thanking Brother Hamilton for this opportunity first and foremost that I'll get a chance to speak and um, share what it is that God has done for me in my life. And I pray that it will touch and maybe have an impact in each and every one of yours or somebody's life today. And so I just give God the, the praise today for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Hi, I am um, Jackie Rogers. I have a doctorate in Christian counseling. And I'm certified as a marriage and family therapist. Uh, what can I say? I don't have much education. I, you know, I have street education, I guess you could say. Um, not because I had to, because I chose to. Uh, Ex-addict, drug addict, meth addict, I guess you could say. Um, I did a lot of things. So it's hard to sum it up in three sentences, but, but you get the idea. So that's yeah. me. <laughs> that's all right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Nora O'Garro. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. I worked in industry for over 40 years, have been retired now for 10 years, have a fantabulous husband, Colin O'Garro, and uh, four adult children, eight adult grandchildren, um, and, and I'll get into this more as we continue the conversation. But my brother was killed at the age of 26. And um, so that's part of my discussion today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. How are we doing this morning? Uh, my name is Andres Juarez. Um, I am 29 years old. Uh, used to be very deeply affiliated with uh, street scams, uh, con man, things like that. Um, in my youth, was affiliated with Latin Kings. Um, same with Raul, alcoholic, ex-alcoholic, glory to God. Um, used to have a lot of issues with drug abuse as well. So that's kind of my testimony as more of a coming from assault perspective. Your husband, you gotta, you gotta say that loud. Kim <laughs> Lewis, my husband, Stephen Lewis, head of Usher, stand up, baby. <laughs> All right. We have seven children between us and 13 grandkids, and I'm 57. <laughs> Amen. So we have a colorful group here. When I say colorful, I'm not just, I'm not talking about pigmentation. I'm talking about walk of life. And we did this because if you look out in the congregation, there's a colorful congregation here. And all of you came to Jesus from different avenues, streets, and boulevards. And hopefully this morning you'll hear the street you came from or the avenue you used to live on or the boulevard you, you drove down. Okay, let's get into it. I'm excited. Uh, the, first, the first question I want to ask, in light of, of your story, and of course, you weren't able to tell your story, but of course, this will 
come about through these questions. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your, uh, your search for forgiveness, your search for forgiveness or, or your challenge to forgive? Because forgiveness is a byproduct of grace. So talk about, based on your story, your search for forgiveness or your challenge to forgive. Any anybody? Is your mic on? I was going to say I'm usually always the one that uh, don't hesitate in speaking up, so I was going to uh, kind of allow others to speak. But my side of it is is really a search to forgive. Uh, as I indicated, I. My brother was killed at the age of 26, and that was in, he was shot in, on December the 24th, 1975, and he subsequently died on January the 15th, 1976. He was my only brother. I have two other sisters, an uh, older sister and a younger sister. And my journey uh, really began uh, after his death and really trying to understand why there was always an absence of men in my life. I never knew my father, never knew grandparents, and the only brother that I had was taken away by our perpetrator. And consequently, it became a real journey for me trying to learn how to navigate life in his absence. And every time I heard his name, it would bring me back to that point of his death. And it really became significant. This is the irony of this whole situation in that it wasn't until the trial that recently happened that I really, really knew that my journey has not ended. I was very angry, really angry, when Amber was only given 28 I mean, 10 years, and I felt she should have been given the 28. And it wasn't until God revealed to me that, why are you angry at her? She hasn't done anything to you, but I felt justice had not been done because the guy that murdered my brother pleaded out and only got five years. And I think I've always been searching for that justice and still have not seen it. Wow. So it just bothered me in my spirit. Uh, and I remember coming to the church the next Sunday after hearing that verdict. And I asked for a prayer because I realized then that I wanted her to have bring justice for me for the death of my brother because I never had an opportunity for trial because he pleaded out. Wow. Amazing, amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Powerful. I think I'll go. Um, I think in my story, uh, my search for forgiveness, I, didn't, I don't think I quite realized that I was searching for forgiveness or uh, it's like this. I was, I was looking to forgive myself for the things that I was doing 
to my life. Uh, but I didn't realize it at the time. At the time, it was just everybody else's fault, you know? And this happened to me because so-and-so, or this happened to me. I got a lot of forgiving to, to forgive to everybody else, I, so I thought, you know? But at the time, my, my mentality was a lot different back then because I hadn't been introduced to God yet. And I think I could speak for all, maybe not all of us, but for some of us here that uh, sometimes we've been through a part of our lives and our journey that um, that God wasn't there yet. I mean, he was there, but you didn't realize he was there yet. You haven't met him yet, you know? And I think that makes a big, big difference in your search because, I, I, you know, honestly, when God's not involved, I don't think you're searching for to forgive anybody. I, I really don't. And uh, that's why I was for many years. I wasn't searching to forgive anybody. I just wanted my money, pretty much, you know? I mean, that's, that's who I was, you know? And the only forgiveness I thought that was ever needed to be extended from me was, hey, since you owe me, I forgive you for it. So, you know, that was pretty much it, you know? Like, that's, that was it. Until I started, I was introduced to, to, to Jesus by my mother. You know, my mom always... She's, she's gone now, but, you know, she always, she always instilled to me that, that Jesus is the one. You know, I, I never knew him, but I always knew in the back of my mind that if I, whoever I needed to search for was him. If, 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 if it got too much, I needed to look for, for Jesus. Thank God for my parents that, that, that taught me that. And... It wasn't until I started going in through my life and walking through my life without God, and then once I was introduced to God, then I started realizing that it's not so much other people that I need to forgive. It's me that I need to be, like, I was praying, God, please help, help, these, help these dope fiends, help these, you know, whatever. But I was thinking, God, you know, now I, I often pray, God, help me for me, for me, save me from me, and there's one thing that you got to understand is, like, when you forgive somebody, no matter how deep the wound is, you got to learn to, in order to do that, you first have to learn to forgive yourself, because sometimes it, it, it gets deep, man, it gets real deep, because you're like, I forgive that person, whatever, blah, blah. but in, in your heart, you still haven't even forgiven yourself. There's a lot of things that we carry around in our hearts that it's like, and you'll be surprised. I mean, we all know, we're all Christians here, and we all know that the cross is what paid for it all, but yet we still walk around with these burdens, like, and it's like, I've done so, I must, I've done so much wrong, you know, just done so wrong, and it, it my, in, in my personal little, little drug-filled life, you know, I, I just looked to forgive. I, I, I didn't realize it till, till here recently, but I was just looking to forgive myself. Yes. You know, and that's what J.K. was saying, you know, how God doesn't, doesn't make you accept the forgiveness. You have to accept it yourself. Yes. And you can't do that unless, unless you start getting educated in the Word. Start doing that, you know. Get, Amen. Get involved. So much. Thank you. Yes. Uh, anyone else? We'll just take one more on that because we want to get to some of our other uh, questions. 
and you can, if you need to share part of your story on one of the other questions, that'd be great. Uh, go ahead, sir. Um, to kind of follow in on what Raul was saying, um, it spoke a lot on about, uh, that was my biggest problem. Um, I didn't speak into uh, a lot of things that were really going on with me, but you know, just to be real quick about it, you know, I was raised right. I was raised in a household where, um, we, where we know Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior. You know, I went on to graduate and go to the military. I'm a combat war veteran. I turned around and, and still outside of that, left there angry, PTSD with all kind of issues and, and mad at the world. And I wanted the world to know that I was mad and you needed to understand that I was mad and that you needed to adhere to what it was that I needed. And so I needed my needs met. And so in the midst of all of that, while I was doing the things that I was doing, I got in the streets, I got out involved in a lot of things and people would even see me now and they would be like, Paul, we never had any idea. You know, but that was that dark side. You know, we all tend to have these little dark sides that we keep hidden and we think that don't nobody know about it, but the whole time, you know, as we will move further into what grace is, I believe grace is a plan. And so, as a, you know, but still just speaking on the forgiveness part, I couldn't forgive myself for the things that I had done, things that I had been a part of, you know, and so with me, I turned to the point of where I just, I was mad because I wasn't dead. I was mad because I was still alive. I was mad because I felt like there were people that were dying around me that were better than me, that deserved to be living, and why was I still here? After I've done this and after I've done that, I felt like, God, why are you keeping me? And I wanted to kill myself, but I couldn't do it. And so, and then at different times, you know, I'd always just try to gather that together, you know, and I'm like, why am I condemning myself when I know God has set me free? And so it was hard at different times really trying to, it's like, because I know better, but you still refuse to do better. And so now you still, you're battling with these things that are within. You lose your identity. You have no idea of who you are. And I spoke to Brother Hamilton about this at one time, and we came to to, to an understanding as a, when I, when I told you I, I had all these identities and we spoke, okay, there's, there's legion. If you know about the, you know, in the Bible, we spoke of legion. There were, there were many. Cause I was somebody over here. I was somebody over here. I was somebody over here. And that's too many people for me to handle. You know, and so with that, you know, and I'm just giving you a small portion of it all because there was so much, you know, as I know when I say God's grace is a plan because on the inside of me, I was begging for him to, to save me from me first and foremost, save me from me. And so I ended up going and getting locked up, not just one time, but a few times. You know, with all of these things that I had, you know, at one point in my life when I grew up, everything I touched tended to kind of turn to gold, and I couldn't accept when I started kind of messing up something. It is hard for me dealing with some failures. I can't deal with failure too good. It is, it is hard for me to know that I did something wrong and not be able to correct it on my own. If you have to correct me, I pretty much got a problem with it. You know, so it was a, it was a case to where I lost myself, but I know God found me. Amen. And I know that he saved me. I know that being part of that plan, getting locked up 
I had to do eight years on 12 and a half. I was looking at way more than that, but I had to do eight years. But when I went in there, I want y'all to know that when I went, I, was, I knew that I was saved at that particular point. I knew that I was saved. I knew that God had set me free. I realized and I knew that I was free at that particular point. I know I had these walls around me, but at the same time, I know that I'm free. These are just walls. I'm free on the inside now. So I was able to do that time and yet be a part of something that was way bigger than me. And that is being part of the church. And I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he saved me. And there was many other brothers, and we had church when we were in there. Amen. And so, and I just, you know, that's a whole nother story. And I, cause I can go on and on, you know, I'm pretty sure yeah. they can too. <laughs> we got other panelists, brother. But we got other panelists. <laughs> and so I just wanted to share that and let y'all know that I'm just, I'm, man, I thank God. I, I thank God. Y'all about it. Y'all have to watch me cause I'll start shouting for real. And I'm just going to give God a praise and pass it on. Amen. 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 So look, we're going to stay on this question because I, I think it's only right for people to kind of get a context to everybody's story. We'll stay on this question. But uh, remember, as we rehearsed in the back, uh, it, you know, I, I told you this would happen. You get to going and the spirit. So uh, the same question, uh, if you can, because we have other questions in other panels. Okay. My question is, I'm coming from the single mother's point of view. And I need you single mothers and fathers Mother of four kids. My only son went to prison at 21 years old. He left home when he was 17. And a little backstory: we wasn't what you call rich. We wasn't poor. We was doing all right for me being a single mother. The bad thing was I didn't have a male role model in the family. He didn't have anybody to look up to whether it be negative or positive. It was just no men. It was me, my mom, my three girls, and my sister, and him. So I couldn't understand when he turned 17, he started rebelling. He was gonna be going to UTA. He had a high grade point average. He walked out the house one day, said, I'm leaving, I can't take it anymore. Flashback, 21 years old, I get a call, mama robbed somebody, they're gonna give me 25 years. And I nearly just, and he said, mama, I'm gonna do my time, they're gonna want me to plea down to 12, and I'm gonna do it, because I did it, and I deserved to go. And I stood by him, he did seven years, but then when he got out, you know the biggest credit was me. You ain't nothing, you this, you that. You ain't gonna never be nothing. You're a criminal, you disappoint me. How dare you embarrass me? All that. This, this wasn't a how you doing, how y'all doing, Kim? This was the mean, grouchy, whatever. I'm just telling you single mothers to watch out for the signs of your son. Thank God he's changed. He hasn't been out of, back to prison. He got out in 2009 and hasn't been back. Me and him got together, 
have the best relationship yesterday, and I apologized to him. I told him I was sorry, that I shouldn't have just hurt him like that, and I did. I, I killed, I basically, when he got out of prison, he came home and he was still in prison. You know what I'm saying? So you single mothers who tell them people you don't need a man in your life, yes you do. Even if you got daughters, the daughters need somebody to look up to. Because my dad wasn't in my life, but I had a hard time finding my husband because I didn't know what a good man was. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So ladies, and I'm telling you this because I hear it all the time. Oh, I don't need a man. We all right. Yes, you do. Find a pastor, your big brother, give him a, somebody. Because when your son, oldest son, your oldest, go to prison, it's like somebody killed you. I cried every night in the parking lot. I had pictures. I go to a parking lot where nobody can see me with my son's pictures. And I cried, because that was hard. I love my, he was my only one, and I had high expectations. And I couldn't believe he went out there and did that, and he didn't have no reason to do it. And he just said, he didn't, you know, he don't know why he did it. He just did it. So I need y'all to listen. When your child trying to tell you something, listen. Especially if you are a single mother with a son. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. My son went to prison because he went to another store in Pantingo with a gun and tried to rob it. And that was his first time ever doing something like that. He never had went to jail. He wasn't on drugs. He wasn't a latchkey kid. He just did it because somebody talked him into doing it. So you're hearing this, this vast array of why people or how some of the panelists needed to give grace and why some of the panelists needed grace. And I think everybody in here, if you were honest with yourself, has spent and presently spent time on both sides. Andres. So I'm kind of like you. I love to uh, talk. So I've just been, you know, so. Uh, um, I also come from a good home. I'm a pastor's son. Um, I grew up leading worship like Brother Gerald. Um, that was the ministry that I was called under. And then I decided to completely turn away from my calling, from my ministry, uh, from everything. Uh, I got affiliated with just gangbanging, doing stupid things, uh, caught my first couple charges with that. Then I got into street sales. I figured it was legal and I wasn't hurting nobody, you know, uh, I figured I know how to spend money better than that person and if they decided to give me their money without any kind of checking it, Googling it, nothing, well, I'm sorry, you know, I got you. Simple as that, you know, that kind of mentality of savagery and a cold-heartedness 
where I was immune to any kind of feeling of I probably shouldn't have done that or, you know, you know, just all things like that. So for me, it was especially like Raul, uh, that lifestyle led to drug abuse. I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like how it made me feel. So I would numb myself with whatever drug you want to put your name on, you know, and then I had alcoholic tendencies. One never wants to make an excuse that it's in the bloodline, right? I feel like that's a, it's a back out. But, you know, it was in my grandfather, a street alcoholic. My father, before he came to Christ, was a street alcoholic. You know, those generational curses that get passed on from generation to generation to generation, unless it's dealt with and cut from the root. And uh, so I had a vice for that and blame my, my culture. I'm a lot of Native American. I'm Colombian American, but any uh, Latino is predominantly Native. So, you know... Uh, no disrespect to any uh, Caucasians or American people here, but the fire water or whatever did a lot of damage to my people back in the days, and it just for thousands of years. So um, I became an atheist. Uh, I was, there's no God. My younger brother professed to me his homosexuality, so then that's when I was like, I remember throwing my rosary, ripping it off my neck, throwing it out the window and yelling at God, saying that there's no God. And from there, I went into a very dark place, um, just with alcohol and just becoming a very savage individual. Um, and then it took me having to get to very low points in my life to finally figure out what I was running from, what I was actually hiding from why I was acting the way I was acting. And it took a long time to really get to a point in my life where I even cared uh, to know why. You know, I'd rather just repress it down. Um, like a lot of us do with a lot of issues that we have from our, from our childhood to our teenage years to being an adult. You know, instead of being an adult and dealing with our emotions and our feelings, we just And then it comes out in very bad times. So, you know, and that's just a little bit about me. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And at some point, I know we have uh, Sister Rogers here. Uh, she she is, will always talk from a clinical perspective whenever she wants to uh, interject anything. Um, I'm going to skip a couple of questions for the sake of time. Uh, I want to ask, I want to get to on the offender side, on the, because when, you, when we, when our testimony includes part of our lives where we were out of control, usually during that time, um, people are hurt by us. Um, so on, on the offender side, considering not just having to forgive yourself, but whoever you hurt in your process, um, was grace and forgiveness ever difficult for you to receive from anybody who told you, I forgive you? Was it difficult, um, was it difficult for you to accept somebody who you hurt saying, I forgive you, and why? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, at the point to where I got to where I could, uh, 
I, I was able to forgive myself, um, you know, understanding, uh, you know, God's word and, you know, just in full, you know, God's plan. Um, it wasn't hard for me to accept it once, you know, people would tell me that they forgave me or they gave me another chance because I felt like that was still yet part of God's plan, you know, for, for, for him to move in their lives just as well because I would pray for that before I would even go to him and, you know, to apologize or ask for their forgiveness. You know, I would pray that God would allow them to accept me, you know, and so at that particular time, you know, I could just say, you know, throw up my hands again and just say, you know, thank you, God, for that particular time. You know, it, it honestly, for me, you know, turned out to be, you know, in a situation like that, you know, and if, if, if in fact, you know, there was somebody that didn't um, uh, automatically accept it, it wasn't, it still wasn't hard. It still wasn't hard because, you know, I know people still have their time that they have to go through things, you know, and I can only accept it and, and, uh, and know that I was able to get that off my chest, you know, and, and, and so I still was yet able to feel better about it. I think, um, I don't think it was very difficult to accept somebody forgiving me. Um, I did a lot of damage with, 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 a lot, with a lot of people as far as the people that were around me, that loved me, that cared about me. Um, I, and, I, and I feel like it, it, to me, it really wasn't hard to accept the forgiveness because I really didn't feel like I needed the forgiveness. You know, um, I don't know how many people here have been on drugs, man, but, you know, drugs really changes your outlook on things. And when somebody's there telling, like, there was, there was a time where I got so bad that um, I was so addicted to meth, it was crazy. And I started stealing checks out of my mom's checkbook. This, this, this was like a very, very low. This was really a low point in my life where I started stealing from my parents. This is ridiculous. You know, and I know it now, but then it was just, you got money, so, you know, she ain't even gonna notice it's gone, you know. But that's just the way, you, that's, that's your ration, your, the way you ration with yourself, like the way you convince yourself. And I really, now that I look at it now, these aren't my thoughts. These were not my thoughts. It was the enemy putting those thoughts in my mind. She's got plenty of money. I mean, what's one check? You know, one check led to two, and two led to four. And, and it, really, it got really bad. It got bad. And it got to the point to where, okay, well, mom's noticing this money's gone. Like, this is a lot of money. I was going through, like, anywhere from 2000 to $3,000 every other week, every week. Not just every other week, about every week. Two, $3,000 worth of checks would come in, and she'd be like, what? What in the world, you know? And uh, she reported it, and the, and the, uh, the, po the police came in, to her work, and uh, they told her, they didn't want to tell her that it was me, but she had, a, she's telling me this later on. She, she had an idea that it was me, you know, she knew it was me. But I had friends that would, uh, I networked with a lot, of, a lot of other druggies that would cash the checks for me. I would write it in their name and, and they would cash it for me. And here I am scamming my own mother. I'm, guys, I'm scamming my own mom 
to get the drugs that I thought that I needed then. It's bad, man. It's real bad. In the sneaky way that I did it. I waited until she was asleep or, or when she just... I mean, sometimes I'd take her car ATM card while she was in the shower. Take off real quick, come on, put it right back in there. So sneaky. But yet I didn't feel like I needed forgiveness. Why not? Like, like, like I didn't need to be forgiven. The way I looked at it, the way the enemy told me to look at it was, well, she's got all that money, you know, how come she just don't give it to you? Yeah. Right. Aren't Thank you good enough? Hmm. But, you know, now that I look back now, it's like, man, you were sorry. But at, at, at the time, though, my mom looked at me, and she was crying. She was, oh, man, she was crying. And she said, I forgive you, son. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, and it's got to stop now. And she put a stop to it. But even then, I denied it to her face, crying, and just, and I just accepted. Okay, mom, thanks for, you know, thanks for forgiving me, you know. And rolled on over to my dad. So at that point, at that point, you didn't understand the value of the grace. Exactly, exactly. I didn't understand the value of the value. And it all comes back to, it all comes back to, do you know him or not? Do you know God or do you not? Because when you know God, there's something in you that that tells you, man, that was wrong. But when you don't know him, it's just like, yeah, whatever. And let me just say this word to all of the panelists. Um, uh, get a good look at their faces um, because none of you, you all are no longer qualified to talk about how long I preach. Okay. Oh, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, you, you, maybe. Go ahead, and then I'm going to target the questions to certain okay. individuals. <laughs> so I actually wrote something down because uh, something that JK was talking about was being very transparent. So when we are speaking to you guys, you guys can see through any facade or mask or fancy words that we're trying to just make ourselves look good. So I wrote this down, and um, not to be rude, but it's hard for me to do this right now, so I'm just going to read it off what I wrote on my opinions over the subject matter of the question. So I said, I want to be transparent here. Now, as much as the Lord has been restoring, changing me, and molding me, and beating out the impurities in my steel... I am not even close to conquering the stronghold of guilt and shame in my mind for things I have done. Not just my disgraceful past when I was serving Satan, but more recent mistakes as well. Easier to get over things from five to ten years ago due to the fact it's been buried down so deep that only a trigger can reignite the flame of pain. For the most part, the scar has healed. But when the wound is still a scab, the devil comes and tears at it as you are healing to lie and deceive and misconstrue your royal identity and unmerited grace that is unattainable by our piety and righteousness by law standards. So at least for myself, I am flooded with guilt and anxiety and demonic voices telling me I will never be worthy or be able to change enough to be used again. I believe it is hard for us as believers to accept grace and forgiveness for two reasons. First, our worldview of forgiveness from 75% of our human interactions are fake or they're false. Let me elaborate on that just a little bit. What I mean by that is, Uh, We are told we are forgiven, but when a similar mistake or trigger affects the recipient of our trespass, they regurgitate the anger, pain, and betrayal that had been repressed due to the social norm of an apology. So we are told that we should forgive people, especially under the concept of Christianity. 
We, and then we're guilt if we don't, our own guilt of knowing that we are not forgiving somebody after everything that we have done and we have been forgiven. Yet there's still, how Paul says, there's a flesh. My flesh does what I want, but I don't do, you know, that whole uh, word rebukes. So, and then the final thing, the second reason why is we feel like hypocrites and not worthy of grace due to a repeated offense that we more than likely told the Lord we were working and would not do again. Wow. My God, my God. Let me just say this, and then I have a pointed question to um, Sister Nora and Sister Kim. Uh, but this is why, I, uh, one of the reasons why I talk about getting, becoming genuine as a church. Because there, there's no place where you can find the most sincere relationships, the most genuine relationships than you would find in church. Here's the paradox. Here's the contradiction. You will find both the most genuine relationships in church and the most fake relationships. How is it that one place can have both the genuine and the fake? Um, It's because everybody is at a different place. And it's because of that worldview that forgiveness is part of Christianity. But it does not mean that you put yourself in denial about the difficulty of forgiveness. Don't deny that. And this is what what I want to bring to Sister Nora, the question that I have for you. Um... Someone took your brother's life. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a Christian, and being honest with your true feelings, mm-hmm. how can people who are born again find the balance between feelings of anger, betrayal, and vengeance, yet having feelings of wanting to grow in grace and give the forgiveness of Jesus because you have that situation. Yeah, I do. I really do. Um, I think the, the challenge is, is every time that I hear on the news about somebody being murdered, then the memory of my brother is regurgitated over and over again. And it also brings to that feeling of wanting to be the judge and not having that forgiving spirit that we know that God wants us to have. So we caught between kind of a a rock and a hard place and transparency again. When I saw that young man went and hugged the police officer, it angered me because I knew for over 40 years, I still mourn the death of my brother. And if I could make an analogy, Brother Hamilton, to really bring it home. If you could hold this for me. 
So I look at life as a piece of paper in which it's whole. But when somebody close to you, life is taken, it tears like a piece of paper and it is destroyed. And for some of us, a physical burial can take place and it's no longer there. But when you still have that mental challenge and you're coming back and you're trying to put that life and those feelings back in the perspective that it should be, we can try to glue all the pieces, but it'll never be whole again. But the blessing is we could never make anybody whole. It is not within our ability and our power to do so. So even as human, we have to accept our limitations of how we can be judge and jury in regards to anybody's life. So when individuals on the opposite end of the spectrum has committed a violation or murder. The murderer of my brother, he was 18. He got five years. He ended up serving seven, but he got five years. So when I look at it and I see how an individual can embrace somebody, then he recognizes, even at 18, he was recognizing his limitation and knew that he could not wish the same death penalty on that person as was given to him from the death of his brother. So for me, the, this is what I really have come into the conclusion to, is that all of us have a cancer within us. And some of us can go to the doctor and he can diagnose that cancer, and he can give us medicine for it. But it is only God that can really know within our true spirit the cancer that we have of punishing and feeling like we're the judge and jury because we're a child of God. That is not up to us. It is up to God. So our redemption is recognizing that we should always have a spirit of forgiveness because if we don't, that silent cancer that grows inside of us is resentment. And that destroys the whole soul. And we walk around as if we're whole when we're dying on the inside because we will not extend grace. And God is the one that ultimately can only, you know, give grace not only to me, but to the person that has killed my son. So my prayer is now, and I have confessed to God, is that in Psalms 51 and 10, it says, create in me a clean heart. And on a daily basis, I'm asking for a renewed spirit that I can forgive. Can I say something to that? After 40 years... Can I say something to that real quick? Because, um, Sister Nora, what we saw with what Brant uh, John did, well, I was brought into that like almost immediately after it happened. So Brant and I, I talked to him almost weekly. We go 
those pieces of paper that you just ripped up, I mean, he was broken, absolutely. But through us dialoguing and talking constantly, we were able to piece, him, piece it back together because we talked through it a lot. We dealt with it ongoing, constantly, all the time. So I don't know if you've ever really just talked to somebody about it and, you know, and just got your feelings out and, I mean, just did the work because, I mean, he really was broken initially. And then what you saw, what everybody saw on TV, that was just the end result of the work. Because actually, I was in the courtroom that Tuesday, and Brad, when they asked him to do that witness statement, it was totally, it was different than what you saw on TV. And I shared this with some people before, it was different. It was as if Jesus Christ himself had descended. And I was looking at Jesus Christ, but I was looking at Brent's face. Because our conversation looked a little different on that Tuesday. And then what happened when you saw it on TV. And so I know the Holy Spirit had been working with him. But I know Brent had been working, you know, for a whole year on all of this. On that forgiveness. On that grace. And so what I'm saying is, it's possible you know, to let go of some of those, and this is what I really want to say, the toxic emotions that come with not forgiving that we carry around. Because we carry all these toxic emotions inside of us, and we really don't realize how it impact our, our daily lives. I mean, that's where we see a lot of, I see a lot of clients with the depression, anxiety, intermittent, explosive, anger, you know, because of... They haven't forgiven themselves or they haven't forgiven others. And so we have to work through these things to come to a place of, you know, peace. And that's just deciding I'm just not going to allow the event, situation, or the person to continue to affect me in the manner that it has. I'm going to become okay with, okay with it and leave it behind. Target to you, Sister Lewis. Um, but I think sometimes we think that the right thing is saying that I forgive you. Uh -huh. So we walk away feeling appeased because I told that person I forgive you. But if you tell them you forgive them, and you have not really forgiven them, then they are not responsible for how you feel about them after you release them. And this is very dangerous, and I'm not speaking, this is not book, chapter, and verse. This is, this is kind of some experiences in my life because you get this mentality, as was said, that it's the right thing. Okay, I forgive you. And you feel better because you said it. But forgiveness is, is not a phrase. You have to actually do it. Otherwise, you end up being passive-aggressive. And passive-aggressive is 
a way to murder someone without picking up a weapon and without it even looking like you did it. There are a lot of relationships now that are broken right now because somebody said, I forgive you, but didn't mean it. And when you say it and you don't mean it, then you begin to grow a little garden of resentment and anger and even vengefulness in your heart. And all it takes is for the person that you said you forgive to be in a situation of pain. And here's a little tester for you. If deep, 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 deep down in your spirit you feel good about when they hurt, you have not forgiven. Uh, Sister Lewis, kind of the contrary of Sister O'Garrow, your nephew, right? Your son, your son was actually the one, uh, was, did it result in a life being lost? It could have been, but he was the perpetrator. So, whereas in your situation, yours was the one that was the victim. And this is, why, this is why we call it from both sides. Because while we are angry at the person that took somebody's life, the person that took somebody's life has a mom, has a dad, has people who love them. You're on that side. So talk a little bit about how as a Christian it was for you to want forgiveness and grace for your son while the other side wants, may want to see your son without forgiveness and grace. First of all, Brother Hampton, it wasn't really the other side. It was me. I'm the one that was the one that wouldn't forgive. You were on both sides. Yes. On one hand, when he was locked up, I was like, y'all need to send the money, go visit, da-da-da-da-da. But when he got out and he came home, and I wasn't thinking that he had spent, he went in at 21 years old. He was a kid, basically. When he got out, he was 28, 29. So I'm thinking, okay, you just come in here, you just laying down, you just doing, and I didn't think about that. He'd been locked up for all that time, so he had to reacclimate himself. And every day I was dogging him, dogging him, dogging him, talking bad about him, put him out. I even told him I hated him. I wished he was dead, and I wish I never had him. We literally got in a fist fight. We went through that, then we didn't speak, then we got back together, and after a while I realized I was forgiving Amber Geiger and anybody else, but not my own son. So I looked at him, we, yesterday was the first time since he'd been out of jail that I told him I was sorry, I loved him, and I'm proud of him. And will he please forgive me for not being the mother that should have been standing beside him? And you know what he said, Mama, I always forgave you. So it was through the grace of Jesus Christ and my sister here, she's been knowing me forever, 
that I've never been like this. I always been closed mouth, quiet, wouldn't say nothing. People come to the house, I run in the room. But it's Jesus, God changed my life. And I looked at my son, he's taking care of my handicapped daughter now. He's working. And I just had to tell him, you know, I'm proud of you. And I love you. So I'm the one that had to forgive him. It wasn't anybody else. Everybody else accepted him. It was me. If they came and told me something about him, oh, he ain't this, he ain't gonna be nothing. So it was me. Isn't that powerful? Let's give our panelists a hand. Excuse me, mm. Pastor. Excuse me, Pastor. If I may, just two seconds. Um, we base ourselves in this congregation off the word. And dealing with what all of us deal with, we have the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. But I think another tool that is very profitable is what this book says. So if I'm okay, I'm just going to read two verses that I think are applicable to the question of finding balance, whether you're the offender or the person who's been offended. So for me, more of my Saul testimony, this is First uh, Timothy um, chapter 1. I'm going to start at uh, verse 13, and it's the amplified version. I like to study the amplified version just in case we have some really King James lovers here. So, though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and was shamefully and outrageously and aggressively insulting to him, nevertheless, I obtained mercy because I had acted out of ignorance, ignorance and unbelief. And the grace, unmerited favor and blessing of our Lord actually flowed out super abundantly and beyond measure for me, accompanied by faith and love that are to be realized in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and is true and worthy of full and universal acceptance that Christ Jesus the Messiah came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. But I obtain mercy for the reason that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might show forth and display all his perfect long-suffering and patience for an example to encourage those who were thereafter believe on him for the gaining of eternal life. And to be able to find balance when we're feeling so agitated and angry and resentful and bitter, I, I think this verse is beautiful, at least for me. It says, I desire, therefore, that in every place men should pray without anger or quarreling or resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. Be blessed. Amen. Very Amen. good. Very good. Very good. So this is what we're going to do. Again, give the panelists a hand. We, we did not get to half the stuff. And I th I'm, 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 I'm thinking that maybe we need to do a part two. Uh, how many of you would think you would be blessed by a part two. There's so much. This is so weighty. However, I, we'd be remiss to end this thing. And we appreciate those of you who stayed a little longer. Um, and we know, we understand those who had to go. But don't ignore and don't dismiss things like this. Because you, all it takes is one event. One occurrence in your life can give you something in common, watch this, with the ones who have been hurt. One event in your life can give you something in common with the ones who have hurt people. 
you can be on both sides in one event. And of course, you sit here in church on Sunday in the middle of October and you think it won't be you. That's because we only know right now and we know what we have planned. But you just don't know how life is going to go. And even though you like to say what you will do, if you've never been in this situation, you don't 100% know what you will do. At the end of the day, his grace on both sides is sufficient. If you are here and, and, and you want somebody to study with you, I want the ministers and leaders to come forward at this time. Um, and we even want the panelists to come down. We're going to end like this. If the panelists would come down to the floor as well. And um, I always said one day I'm going to jump off the stage making a point. But I better hurry up and do it because soon I won't be able to do it. And I better have the paramedics by if I'm going to do it now. But maybe there's somebody and you've been thinking about uh, you want to be saved. That grace has to be received. We are saved by grace through faith. Right? There's somebody here who wants to be saved. I'm learning that there are people who want to give their lives to Jesus, who have been being discipled, who even want to be baptized, but they don't want to do it in front of a whole bunch of people. That's a tradition. Doing it in front of everybody is a tradition. That's all it is. If, if you want to take that next step and you want to do it privately and you want your family there, you want that to be a special moment for those closest to you, there's, no, there's just about as much scripture as for having a baptism in a church with pews and everybody watching as there is for just one or two people in the middle of a desert with nobody there but him, the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit. But I believe there's some of you that need to receive the grace of God in your life. Ultimately, the grace of God is about saving you from sin, from yourself. And so if that be your desire, uh, we have ushers that are still here. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If you want to talk about it later, raise your hand and they'll take your name. You'll get a phone call because we really want to talk about, uh, talk to you about that. But if you're here and you heard, you, you took something from this and you've been harboring un unforgiveness, which is the opposite of grace. Grace produces the ability to forgive. Uh, being grace, gracious. And maybe you're harboring something and you need to let it go. When you don't forgive, you have a malignant spiritual cancer. And it ain't going to change the person that you still have a problem with. You know who's gonna, who it's going to change? It's going to change you and it's going to ultimately kill you. And you'll look up and you won't even be the same person you were. And what will happen is the person who you won't forgive will get tired of asking for it. And they'll move on. And here you would be, have gone from a beautiful, lovely, smooth, demeanored, healthy, spiritually per spiritual minded person to a mutation, to a monstrosity. All because 
the thing you blame is growing inside of you. So wherever you are, everybody stand to your feet. You want to give your life to Jesus? You believe on him to be the son of God? Do that. Repent of your sins, confess him, be baptized. If you want to have that connection, raise your hand. Maybe you want to connect with somebody up here and you want prayer. You can come right now. This is the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment. Maybe there's somebody you want to connect with up here. You can come down right now, whoever you are. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Whoever you are, come down here. This is that moment. Some of you might have saw this. Oh, that's interesting. Because you're not, you're not thinking on that level yet, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Some of us don't even pay attention. And you know how I know? Because we would have just did a series on something. And somebody would say, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we just did a whole series on faith. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. We just did a whole series on grace. Pay attention. When you get mail from God, it is never junk mail. Y'all hear me? When you get mail from God, it is never junk mail. And you may not need it today. But some of y'all are going to need this on Wednesday at 1.03 on your job. And you have no idea. So don't be dismissive of this. We're going to sing a song. And if you need to come, you want to touch and agree with somebody up here, now is the time.